Fun fact, my wife and I used to live in Lake Jackson from 2013 to 2017, so it's good to see some familiar faces. I was a youth pastor at First Baptist Lake Jackson for a little bit, but man, Brazos Point was a good friend to us and your student team, so it's good to see Mary still around and hanging out, but man, it's good to see some familiar faces out there this morning. Unfortunately, my wife uh, and son can't be here. He's at home sick, so they're watching from the TV. So what's up, Judah? That's just the him right now. Um, but man, uh, it's been a good week to be here with your church and with your students, junior high students. Have you had a good week? Yes? Yeah? Yeah? Sweet. Sweet. So we've been looking at this idea of follower. What does a follower look like? In particular, what does a follower of Jesus look like? And what are the things that are supposed to mark the life of a follower of Jesus? So we talked about things like, man, there's disciplines. Like there's a disciplined life when it comes to following Jesus. And in that disciplines, there's flourishing and there's beauty and there's goodness in that. And it looks like a life of following Jesus is a life marked by serving God the King and serving others. And so this morning, we're gonna continue that idea of what it looks like to follow Jesus as we're gonna dive into y'all's Acts text. I know y'all are in the book of Acts as a church. So we're gonna do that in Acts 4. But before we do that, let me ask you guys a question. I know Halloween just passed and it's my kids' favorite uh, uh, holiday ever. Like we listened to the Disney Halloween playlist from like January to October. And then once October 31st is over, I'm like, bro, we gotta switch the radio because it's all we listen to. But he loves Halloween. And a popular thing that happens at Halloween is haunted houses. So uh, just did anybody go to a haunted house this year? Don't worry, we're not gonna call you sacrilegious or anything like that. You don't have to worry. Greg is keeping an eye on those who raise their hand though. So we'll see. Um, but it, they're fun, right? You kind of get to go through them. And so the first time I ever went through a haunted house, I was in elementary school and our city had this uh, haunted house at the Jimmy Burke Activity Center and it wasn't large at all, but it was like draped in trash bags. And all. It, was, it was not great, all right? But I'd never been in one. And so I wanted to go into this haunted house and I was kind of like a timid kid. I was pretty scared of stuff like that, but I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna do this, all right? And so my parents, they bought me a ticket. They didn't go in with me. I don't know what that says about my parents, but they didn't go in with me. They sent their kid in then by himself. And listen, I got through that joker so quick. Like I'm pretty sure I set a world record for how quickly I got through that haunted house. It was, I was in and I was out. Like if you would have put me and Usain Bolt in a race against each other, I would have beat him that day for sure, 100%. Like I was really scared. No one, no one went with me. Uh, I was by myself, but I put on this brave face, but really I wanted to be bold, but I really was kind of more bashful than I was bold walking through that haunted house. And there's a lot of aspects in our life where we desire to be bold, but we're really actually more bashful, right? Maybe think of when you were younger or maybe you're there now and you had the school bully who was always just kind of being mean to everybody, stuffing them in lockers. I don't know if that actually happened, but they would do that, right? Um, and so you're like, hey, the next time this bully does something, I'm gonna stand up to him, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna say something. I'm gonna stand up for me and my friends. And the next time they did something, you had this aspiration to do it, but you were more bashful than bold. So you step back and just let him kind of have his reign of terror. Or maybe um, you have a, a, a kind of a mean boss who kind of has like a toxic workplace. And so it's really an unhealthy place. And so you and your coworkers during break and all this kind of stuff are sitting around like, man, someone's got to say something to him. And so you kind of draw the short straw of the group and you're like, all right, well, I guess I'll say something next time something gets out of whack. And so 
the next time something gets out of whack with your boss and he's either mean or demeaning or whatever, to your group, you wanted to be bold, but you were bashful because it's a lot better to have that paycheck every week and you wanna put food on your table and you kinda need the job. And so you're like, you know what, I'm just gonna keep it silent. I'm gonna continue to let him do what he kinda needs to do and I'll just live with it, right? Or what happens if you're a follower of Jesus and there's moments that you wanna live out boldly in your faith, but you become a little bit more bashful. I think about in school and you have the kid that's kind of marginalized, the outcast that no one really sits with. People talk about them behind their back. They're kind of the butt of, of a bunch of jokes. And so you're like, man, I just, they need a friend and I'm gonna be a really good friend because I think Jesus calls me to be a good friend to them. And so you kind of wanna work up the courage to do that and to embrace that relationship, but you become more bashful than bold because you're scared of how it might affect your social status or what other people are gonna talk about you now, right? Or Maybe you've got a friend, a family member, a coworker, or neighbor who they don't know Jesus. They're not a follower of Jesus, but you are. And so you have this urge to tell them and build this relationship with them so that ultimately you can tell them about the goodness that you found in Jesus and the hope that he is for them and also for the world. And so you're building up this relationship, but you become more bashful than bold when the topic of Jesus might come up because you're worried what it might do to your relationship dynamic with them. Right? You don't want things to get awkward. You don't want there to have this tension. You don't want this relationship to be separated. So, man, you're more, bold, you're more bashful than bold. And, and we become bashful for a lot of reasons. One of those reasons might be that we're fearful of the repercussions that might follow. Right? We, we have a tendency to think about all these negative thoughts will conquer and rule the day in our life and in our world, right? So instead of like the positive outcome, we'll focus on the negative and we're worried about what it could do to us. So we'll just sit there and go, man, because it has some negative repercussions, it's just not worth the risk. Or we're fearful again of how it might change that dynamic of a relationship with it. It's just not worth broaching the subject or we're fearful of how it might change our social status because we don't wanna become the marginalized outcast that people are now talking about. Or maybe we lack some confidence and an ability to actually talk to others about our faith or the faith that we're supposed to have in Jesus. You don't think you have what it takes. You don't think you know enough. You don't have enough wisdom. You don't have enough knowledge. And, or you're just like, dude, I'm just as jacked up or not worse than the person that I wanna talk to. So I just feel hypocritical if I were to broach this subject with them. I don't have all the answers. And honestly, God would probably just be better off if, if he used somebody else other than me. And maybe... If that's how you feel, you feel like you're more bashful than you're bold, you may think, man, I'm just like a coward. Like how, I'm, I'm, I'm this follower of Jesus and he calls me to live out my faith in the world and I believe that, but I'm not really doing it. So it's hurt your faith and you, you feel like you are lacking in your faith or your faith just kind of feels uh, spiritually kind of thin, right? There's not a lot of depth or anything to it. And so you're stuck going, I just don't know what to do. I don't know what to do to get me out of this slump. And it's like my faith is almost becoming on the verge of, of non-existence. So what happens when we become bashful, it's like the time when maybe you were a kid and your parents are introducing you to someone new. And what did you do? You probably hid behind them for a little bit and you were bashful letting them carry the brunt of that conversation. 
and you just hid behind them, then what we can do is we can just kind of maybe let these professional Christians that we think in our eyes, that we think they've got it all together and just do the work for us. So we'll just let our pastors do that kind of work and we'll just contain our faith to the four walls of the church. We become more bashful than even boldful. And you might be like, bro, that is exactly where I'm at right now in my life. Well, let me say that's good news because one, now we've got a problem that we can look at and we can kind of maybe hopefully work through and solve, but it's also good news that here's the deal. You're not the only person in the world to experience how you feel. You're not the only person in this room to experience that right here and right now. So in fact, even those who follow Jesus most closely, and I'm talking about the disciples, the guys who were with him the most on his time on earth, were bashful as well. One of those guys is Peter, right? And if you know anything about Peter, he's one of the first disciples that Jesus called to follow him. And Peter was kind of this dude who was kind of a fly off the handle kind of guy. He was kind of hot tempered, angered. He, he held this deep belief of what he actually believed in. And if anything said anything against it, he was gonna speak up and correct him. Even so much that this joker uh, corrected Jesus at one point, Jesus had to even rebuke Peter. And so people, I think the other disciples would say, that Peter, he's got confidence. That's a bold dude right there. But that wasn't always the case. In the moments where Jesus was being captured and about to be beaten and crucified, he's going on trial before the high priests and before Rome itself. And his disciples are kind of dispersed in this moment, but some of them are kind of like, at the background of the story, kind of checking things out, seeing how things are gonna happen. And one of those guys is Peter. He's, he's watching this trial from a distance. And people notice Peter because they've seen Peter with Jesus before. And they begin to ask him, hey, weren't you like one of his guys? Weren't you with? And Peter's like, no, it wasn't me. I was not with him. Or a little girl asked Peter, like, you, you've been with Jesus. You were with him. And Peter's like, I don't even know the guy. Like, I don't know him at all. This guy who once exuded such self-confidence and boldness is now kind of the bashful coward because he's fearful of what's happening to Jesus may even happening to him. So again, you're not alone in how you feel. Peter even told Jesus, listen, dude, I'll never deny you. But it turns out that these guys in the Bible are just as messed up and just as broken and human as we are. He struggled the same way that we do today. And this dude had been physically with Jesus. But there's something that changes in the life of Peter. When we look at the life of Peter in the, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these, these uh, books that tell about the life of Jesus we see a dif different Peter in those gospel accounts compared to what we see in the book of Acts. There's a change in Peter. And so, like I said, we're gonna continue in y'all's Acts study. And last week, y'all were in Acts 3 and y'all looked at the lame man that Peter and John had healed when he was like asking for silver and Peter and John were like, listen, silver and gold we have not, but what we do have is Jesus and he can heal you. So why don't you get up? And so this man immediately, his bones are strengthened, his muscles are strengthened. He's been lame and couldn't physically do anything for 40 years. And immediately he's up, he's praising God. He's running around the temple, the synagogue. And man, this has created quite a scene. So much so that the religious leaders of the day have kind of caught wind of this and all at the, the center of this issue is Peter and John. 
And it says that they were annoyed at Peter and John because they were talking about Jesus and talking about the resurrection because these are the guys that don't believe in the resurrection. And so they want to squash this as quickly as they can. So they bring Peter and John in, they arrest them, and they put them on trial. And here's what happens in Acts 4, verse 7. Here's what they ask them. And when they had set them in the midst... They inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? This is a council asking Peter and John this. And so this question is going to reveal within Peter and John what they actually believe about the person of Jesus. And what they believe about Jesus, of who he is and what kind of God he is, is going to determine their response to the council. So remember last time, Peter's back was up against the wall about who he was associated with. He denied him. But something's about to change. Look at the response that Peter gives in Acts 4, 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This is a different Peter that was denying Jesus before the crucifixion. This Peter, he's bold and he's not bashful. I mean, he even calls these dudes out. He's like, you wanna know by what name, or by what power we're doing this in? It's in the name of Jesus. Remember that guy that you crucified? Well, guess what? He's not in the grave anymore. He's risen. It's by his authority and his power that this dude that you see before you, it's by him that he's well. And the council that they're standing before is like their world is rocked. Like they are utterly astounded. And so in Acts 4.13, they said this of what they saw of Peter and John. They said, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were, listen to this, uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. These guys are astonished at their boldness. Not only could they deny the boldness that Peter and John were exhibiting, but they couldn't deny that there was a miracle before them. They've seen this dude begging at the temple for 40 years. They know him by name. And he is now running around praising God in the temple. And so what happens is they begin to perceive this Jesus movement that's beginning to take place in their area as a threat to their authority and to their power and ultimately to the authority and power of Rome. And so they tell Peter and John, listen, you're gonna have to quit talking about this Jesus guy and the resurrection. Like if you continue, you could be thrown in jail, you'd be killed, all these things. Like you're, you have to stop right now. And so in light of their threats, in light of their response, here's how Peter and John respond. But Peter and John answer them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So Peter and John weigh their threats against them, and they're not unaware that their back is against the wall, they know that they're living in a reality where these guys have already killed and crucified Jesus for the same things that they're now doing and proclaiming. They know that not only is public humiliation or jail a very real reality for them if they continue to do this, but they know that death is a reality if they continue to talk about this person of Jesus. And in light of all of those threats and in light of understanding all those things, they look at their accusers in the face and they say, we ain't gonna stop. 
You can deny what's undeniable, but we cannot. We cannot deny what's undeniable in the person of Jesus and all that he's done. I don't know about y'all, but that is bold. Again, this isn't the same Peter before the crucifixion. Something has changed within him from the guy that was scared of a little girl and now standing before the council. And he's just like, bring it on, bro. Whatever you got against me, whatever you want, like, bring it on. So ultimately, what happens is the council releases them and they go. And so we might read something like that, that account and go, man, well, hey, good for Peter and John to live that way, to be that bold, uh, to see where he's come from, to where he's at now. Like, man, that's awesome. Good, good for him. Because for you, you go, good for him, but that kind of boldness, that kind of faith, that seems just so unattainable. It seems so maybe distant from us. And, and there might be some reasons why that kind of boldness or that kind of faith in Jesus seems so distant and unattainable. And it might be because you've allowed fear, maybe some self-deprecation, and what you're concerned about with relationship dynamics to be really the loudest inputs into your life. And so because those are the loudest inputs that you've got going on in your life, you've allowed those things to really dictate how you believe and live out your faith. And it's caused you to maybe live one that's more bashful than really one filled with boldness. And the reality is, if we believe in the wrong inputs, what we take in and what we believe about Jesus and what we believe about the world, ultimately, if those things have a louder voice than the person of Jesus and our lives in 100%, we're not gonna live in light of the gospel and the work that is supposed to be expressed through it. So as we unpack the rest of this text in Acts 4, I want you to see, really kind of lean into what kind of beliefs and inputs that these apostles and Peter and John are really allowing into their life and how their faith is impacted because of those things. So Acts 4, 23 through 30, reads this. When they were released, Peter and John, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointing. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan have predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So the very first thing that Peter and John do in light of the threats, they run to their friends who believe the same things that they believe, who are doing the same things that they're doing. And they tell them about the threats. They tell them what was issued against them. And here's what follows, I think, kind of the secret sauce, if you will, kind of lies in all of this. Because here's what I think the natural thing to do is when we're faced with opposition or hostility is to kind of hunker down, is to kind of maybe be quiet because we want to avoid what could potentially be damaging to us or what could potentially be hurtful to us, not just physically, but spiritually, emotionally, mentally. We want to avoid those things. So we're going to avoid them at all costs. It's a natural reaction when you touch a hot stove to take your hand away from it. So this is what we would naturally want to do. And so 
we would try to come up with and devise any kind of plan that we could come up with so that we just avoid that hostility. But that's not what we really see the apostles do in this moment. You don't see them devise a plan to be quieter in their faith or to be more secretive and tell others about Jesus in homes hidden from the authority and all that kind of stuff. Like they don't do that. They simply take what they've heard. They simply take the threats and they begin to pray for more boldness in light of all that they've been told. But notice that when they pray, what kind of God that they pray to. And I think it's key really in all of this. They pray to a God that is sovereign, meaning that they believe that God is the one who holds all authority and truly all power and control, not over just their lives, but the entire world and the entire cosmos. Everything God is in control of even the situation that they find themselves in now. So you might think like, dude, if, if I were praying to the sovereign God of the universe and I'm potentially like my back's up against the wall with death, like I might pray for God to stop any kind of threat against them. But they pray for, even in the midst of them, for God to continue to use them, to continue to speak in boldness, to continue to speak about what Jesus has done and for signs and wonders to still take place. In other words, God, would you give us the ability to have boldness to do what people are threatening with us right now. And here's what has a reality for them, and I hope can be a reality for this, for us, is that the sovereignty of God had become security for them. And it's same for them, it's true for us, that the sovereignty of God is security for us as well. It's their, it's their source of fuel that really keeps the fire lit. Because here's what they believed, if their God was in control when he made the heavens and the earth from nothing and brought forth life from the words of his mouth. If their God was in control that was able to deliver them and their people from, from exodus, from bondage and slavery and be faithful and true to them then, if their God was able to bring their promised Messiah in the person of Jesus and have him live the life that they couldn't and die the death that they should have and seen him rise from the grave, if their God was able to do all those things and they could bank on that God, that sovereign God now to continue to be with them and in control even of this situation now. Because God is sovereign and God's sovereign control of the world, our lives, it brings security and it brings confidence. God's sovereignty is a secret sauce really in all of this. But that's easier really said than done, right? Like we can have that belief that God, you're all powerful, you're in control, you're all knowing, but it's one of those things that's gotta go from here to here, about 12 inches down from the head to the heart to really get in us. And there can sometimes be this gap of trust, like there's a trust gap in that. And that sometimes like we don't trust him. We don't extend trust to him. And here's the reality, if, if I'm not really putting my trust in God, the reality is that I'm just shifting that trust to trust something else. You trust, it just may not be in the sovereignty of God and his rule and reign over your life. Here's how that might play out. You might trust a lie from the enemy, from Satan, more than you trust about what God has said about the situation. Right? You might trust what the enemy says about your identity and who you are more than what God has said about who you are. You might trust what the enemy is saying about the world rather than what God has already said and what he's doing in the world. There's a trust gap or you may trust in your own abilities more than God's own ability and you try to just relinquish, or you try to keep all this 
control in your life instead of allowing God to be the one that has control of it. There's, there's a trust gap. And because there's a trust gap sometimes with our faith and when it comes to walking obediently in Jesus, it can sometimes leave us sitting on the sideline as a follower of Jesus rather than being one who participates in the mission and the kingdom of God that is coming here. And so I want to encourage you that there's an opportunity that we have to close that trust gap and walk in boldness as the apostles walked in. Because the reality is the truth and the boldness that was manifested in the life of Peter and John and these apostles is available to all followers of Jesus. It's still available even to us. And so this idea of bold missional living isn't really fueled anything by anything else other than a trust in the sovereignty of God expressed through an act of prayer. And so when we pray, we're really like tapping in to the sovereignty of God. It causes us, here's what it causes us to do when we pray. It causes us to deny ourselves. It causes us to come face to face with our fears and our concerns and our worries and our anxiety and our stress and everything else that is in that. And it causes you to deny yourself and your own abilities and has us go to the one who really truly has the ability to do what we can't. So therefore, prayer is an expression of trust in God. So here's how this actually plays out. So you're fearful of your friend who's a skeptic who thinks you are just an ignoramus because you believe in the person of Jesus, right? You're fearful of what they think and you're fearful that you may not have all the answers that they're wrestling with and struggling with. And so here's what you do. You go to prayer and you go to pray and you pray to God saying, God, I trust you in this moment that you would give me wisdom that you would help me recount the scriptures and the truth of the gospel as I share with my friend. And that if the uneducated common men of the apostles can stand before the council and tell them about what Jesus has done, then therefore, God, I can stand in front of people who think differently than me, who have a different set of ideas and values and ethics and morals, that God, I can trust you even in that. Or maybe you're worried about the relationship dynamic that you're gonna have with a friend, family, coworker, or neighbor will go through prayer to the one who is trustworthy, believing that more than you maybe wanna see your friend come to faith in Jesus, that he wants it all the more, that he loves your friend way more deeply than you ever could, and that message of the gospel is worth sharing to them, so you trust him and his goodness even in that. And so what do we do? We simply do what the apostles did and we pray. And here's what happens as we pray. As we pray to God, we exercise trust. And as we exercise trust, trust becomes more and more established to the sovereign God of the universe in our lives. And the beautiful thing in all of this is that you don't go at it alone. I told y'all the first time I ever went through a haunted house, I went through it by myself. And like I said, I got through that thing really, really quickly. It was, it was a, I was scared. I was really timid of that moment. Well, fast forward a couple years and uh, I'm either in junior high or high school, I don't remember at this point, but 
I go to another haunted house, but this time I had some friends with me. Right? I had my boys with me this time, and it was a completely different experience. Yeah, there was some fear in it. Yeah, there was still maybe some timidity, but their presence in all of it mattered. Like they gave, they helped give me a boldness that I didn't have before. And this time, instead of running through that thing, I walked through it with them in light of what was trying to even scare me. And so here's the reality is that their presence made all the difference in that moment. And there's a presence that the followers of Jesus have that make a difference as we navigate the world that we live in, is that we have the Holy Spirit. What was given to Peter and John is available to every person that has said, Jesus, I make you Savior and I make you Lord of my life, that the Holy Spirit, God himself, indwells in the life of a believer and it's his presence that changes things, this helper that God had promised. I think y'all looked at a couple weeks ago as y'all were in Acts 2, is that he is this promised helper that changes things. And the presence of the Holy Spirit makes all the difference for a follower of Jesus as they navigate life, but especially when they navigate a world that's hostile towards them. And it wasn't before Peter stood before the council that he said, it says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit and finally he answered them. So notice that Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, then he said what he said in front of the council. And it's that same Holy Spirit that again resides in you and I and emboldens us and, and, and it fills us with confidence to live faithfully and speak out in a world that is apprehensive and sometimes at odds with the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done. And so I love what the famous preacher Charles Spurgeon says about the Holy Spirit, he says this, without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are as ships without wind. We are useless. I believe that's 100% true. Left to our own devices, left to our own merit, left to our own ability, we can't do anything without the Spirit of God doing something in us. And so it is partnering with the work of Jesus the King through the power of the Holy Spirit that we are able to go and live emboldened in a world that is desperate need to hear this message of Jesus because without the Holy Spirit, here's what we'll be. We'll just be a ship sitting in the harbor, not doing what it was intended to do. That ship was never intended just to sit in the harbor. It was meant to go out and have a job and do something. And the same is true for followers of Jesus. But if we don't have the Holy Spirit to breathe and blow wind into ourselves, we'll just be sitting on the sideline useless. And God has not created you to be a bystander in the kingdom work. He has created you to be a participator in the kingdom work, just like Peter and John were as well. So the Holy Spirit gives us a confidence but it's not a confidence that is in your own trust, in your own ability or anything. That's just pride masking itself as confidence. Instead, our confidence, here it is, it's rooted in the one who didn't shy away when it mattered most. Our confidence is in the person of Jesus who boldly lived the life that we couldn't, who boldly died the death that we deserved, who boldly faced the world and its enemy and its oppressors and stood before him and he boldly did what we could in our trust and our confidence is in the ability of what Jesus has done. Never in our own ability, never in our own power or anything. And it was this Jesus that the apostles watched live boldly. And it's this Jesus that we now on the other side of the resurrection trust with all boldness that he's worthy 
of our lives and worthy of our trust. And so not only is it the same gospel that causes us to live boldly today in the light of a world that's hostile, but it's the same message of the gospel that Jesus did what we couldn't do for ourselves that still saves people today. And that might be you this morning, that you're going, I need to boldly trust in him. And maybe you're the follower of Jesus, like I've been sitting on the sidelines far too long. I need to trust him. And so here's how you do that. You have a belief that he is the sovereign God of the universe, that he is in control, that all authority and all power and all things flow from him and through him. And even the control over your life And we express trust to God as we pray to him. And that prayer helps solidify that belief that we have about him. That prayer creates intimacy. That prayer creates burden. That prayer creates confidence. And so we pray and we put our trust in him that we're reliant upon the person of Jesus. And as we pray, God reminds us and confidently whispers to us and tells us, you're not alone. I'm with you in this. And it's his presence with us that makes all the difference and allows us to go out to a world, out into a community that is starving for some good news, that's starving for some hope. And I'm convinced that, that good news and that hope is only found in the person of Jesus. And you get to be a participator in bringing his kingdom here. But you don't do it alone. You do it with him. And you do it with a community of people with you. So I want to read, as we finish up, this last text from Acts 4, verse 31, about what the apostles had done and what happened. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. May what was true of them then be true of us today. Let's pray. God, we we just want to say thank you. We want to say that you are worthy of our lives and worthy of our Inability, God, you're worthy for us to give us our fears and our concerns and our doubts, everything. And God, we want to say thank you that you sent your son Jesus to rescue us when we were broken and we had a need that we couldn't solve for ourselves. And so God, thank you for rescuing us. And God, I pray it is not only the gospel that we know saves us, but it's the gospel that also continues to Sustain us even to this day. The truth of what you've done gives us boldness and confidence to go out to the world. So God, I pray that you would use these students from this weekend. God, I pray that you would use Brazos Point and the people of this church to live boldly in their homes, to live boldly with their coworkers, to live boldly with their neighbors, to live boldly in light of a world that believes so differently than them, that's rapidly changing, that's rapidly against this message of Jesus that's so postmodern, you live for your truth, whatever. God, there is one truth that matters and it's you. And we hold the answers to it. So God, may we not grip those answers and keep them close to ourselves, but God, may we open our hands and walk faithfully into those places 
declaring the goodness of your gospel. So God, be with us, embolden us, and may we continue to trust in you. And it's in your name we pray, amen. Would you guys stand?